We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, third straight win for the Nets tonight over the Atlanta Hawks in overtime, 132-128. How are we feeling, Jack? Pain, Nick. The Joe Harris three-point streak is over. Yeah, I mean, it was tough. Credit to the Hawks. They did a great job of kind of eliminating him from getting any open three-point attempt. But we'll jump into that and plenty more. You can always find the buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepog.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, where should we start? Nick, the first half, it was 55-all. What? Where was the, the game at in, in, the, in the starting moments? Yeah, I thought, you know, James Harden, Kyrie Irving did a good job of kind of getting things going offensively. I think some of the Nets' defensive issues really stuck out. You know, DeAndre Jordan and Kyrie Irving getting attacked in that pick and roll. Uh, I felt like Atlanta a little targeted Kyrie a little bit in the post with DeAndre Hunter. And then the Hawks also had, I believe, 15 free throws in the first half. So they did a good job getting to the line. They weren't necessarily hitting their shots. You know, some of that's the re- referees and the officiating. But overall, you know, I thought it was an okay half from the Nets. Not great defensively, but offensively, you had some nice moments. And KD probably missed, you know, five to seven shots in the first half that he normally hits. He just was missing some open ones. As you can see by a stat line, easily picked that up by the second half. Yeah, KD still did KD things, as you'd, as you'd expect. 13-26 for the field from him. 32 points, five boards, a couple of dimes, a couple of blocks. And um, John, Kill- John Collins, rest in peace, my good friend, because he dribbled him into the ether. Yeah, and then Jeff Green caught him later with a poster dunk, so he got the best of both worlds. <laughs> Yeah, that Jeff Green dunk was nasty. What what do you think was the the bigger highlight play from the night? Or was it the Kyrie Irving insane layup that, again, he didn't get a foul on? 
Yeah, I think, you know, the layup was probably the most difficult one in terms of like highlight popping. I think the Jeff Green poster, because it's always kind of a surprise. Not that Jeff Green doesn't put down posters, but it's like one every 10 games. He'll put one down and it was just nasty. Kevin Durant did probably get away with a little push off on the John Collins thing. So we got to be objective sometimes. Oh, wow. The Brooklyn Nets actually getting away with something. I thought that that (laughs) would have happened a lot more to Trey Young. And Nick, I'm guessing that it did. Yeah, Trey Young obviously was uh, up to his normal antics. You know, that pump fake jump into the defender was his go-to in the first half. I thought the Nets did a better job of kind of adapting in the second half and not let him get some of those easy free throws. You know, that's you just can't allow that, especially when Trey didn't really have it going offensively, missing a lot of shots. They did a nice job chasing him down on some of his floaters too. Just can't bite, bite on that stuff, especially you already played him twice this year. Definitely, and we actually saw from Matt Brooks that James Harden confirmed that later in the game that Bruce Brown as a screener adjustment was done to force Trey Young to defend. What did you think of that adjustment from Steve Nash at the coaches? Yeah, I thought that was a great adjustment. I think the Nets really made an effort to target Trey Young in that fourth quarter in overtime, either trying to force a switch with Joe Harris setting a pick and pop, or with Bruce Brown it was a pick and roll. And you know, the, and Bruce Brown with his floater game, his push shot, was able to kind of take advantage of those opportunities. So nice adjustment, some creativity from this coaching staff. And that's really what we've wanted to see over the last couple of games. We're starting to get some of that. And maybe it's Steve Nash feeling a little bit more comfortable and having a better idea of his personnel. Uh, Kyrie did mention Steve Nash in his post-game comments. I think Steve's trying to find a happy balance between playing the stars and the bench. Sometimes I tell Steve, hey, man, just let me loose. He's all, he also mentioned that he's happy to be on the bench uh, to get some rest. Uh, the bench certainly didn't bring uh, the energy much tonight other than Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, and to a very minor extent, TLC. Um, so what did you think of the balance between, I guess, the bench and the starters and the rotations overall? Yeah, first half bench unit was pretty bad. I think the only two points they got was at the end of the half on an easy layup for Bruce Brown. Just missing a lot of shots, not necessarily having great energy. Credit to you know some of the Hawks second unit players. I thought they bounced back in that second half, especially in that fourth quarter. They had a nice little run with the second unit, making some chippy plays out there. So, you know, it, they're not necessarily amazing players. You know, TLC, as we know, is super inconsistent. So he's going to have these one or five nights. He's going to have the four or five nights. And Jeff Green just didn't have a great first half. Second half was able to bounce back. And like talked about with Bruce Brown, you know, really dominant. And Reggie Perry, just like we've talked about, he's a 57th overall pick. I'm not expecting him to be an NBA player at this point, And obviously he's not. He's just missing some of the small things. Trey Young was able to bait him into a three free throw foul. Yeah, five minutes for him. Reggie is a second-round pick, and in those five minutes had three personal fouls, a la old-school Mitch Robinson style. So <laughs> there's not a lot to, to speak of with Reggie Perry. But, Nick, seems to me that in the second half, Bruce Brown really provided a spark off the bench, alongside Jeff Green always. You know, he's always uh, Mr. Everybody, ever-reliable. He's always going to be closing games, too, as the backup five. Uh, but Bruce Brown, um, what more can we say about Bruce Yeah, I thought he just had some really good hustle defensive plays in this game. And also, he's just somebody that can switch on to so many different players. You know, he's willing to battle with John Collins in the post. He can chase Trey Young around the perimeter. So I think just his value for this team in certain sequences is so important. And the fact that they're starting to utilize him offensively, you know, putting him in that pick and roll spot, especially against a team like the Hawks, makes a lot of sense because then he doesn't have to hide in the corner and then have to take a three that he probably doesn't even want to take. Like we said, it's okay for him to take him once in a while, but in big moments, putting him around the rim is more effective. And given the Nets' talent, I think the coaching staff did a good job of that tonight. 
Yeah, I mean, it's what you see opposing coaches do with the likes of Giannis and, and Ben Simmons, sort of offensively limited players in terms of their jumper and their mid-range game, but they just have great athleticism and great strength and great dexterity around the rim. So uh, clever coaching from Steve Nash. He's getting a, a better feel for his players. And look, the Nets have a probably... I, I would say, Nick, if I'm not sure if you agree with me, seven guys in the rotation that I trust to play, you know, 15 minutes plus uh, on a championship level team. You know, the two guys off the bench being Jeff Green and Bruce Brown and TLC, you know, it might be 15 minutes one night, it might be zero minutes the next. But do you think that seven is about the, the right number right now? Or do you think that there are other guys that should be given a chance to prove themselves? Like, do you think Tyler Johnson was unlucky to miss out again? Do you think Landry Shamet was unlucky to miss out again? And Nick Claxton seems to be uh, on the on the mend quite quickly as well. So what are your thoughts, I guess, on the depth of the rotation? Yeah, hopefully Claxton is back because that'll be a valuable piece for not only like center minutes, there's a possibility he can play some power forward or just give you some really switchy lineups with him, Jeff Green, and Kevin Durant. But, you know, I think at times you look for Tyler Johnson, you look for Landry Shamet. But like we kind of talked about in the last show, I think TLC just gets a nod because he's a little bit bigger. You know, he's a little bit more comfortable switching on to a guy like Gallinari, but he's also comfortable defending a guy like Trey Young. And Landry Shamit, Tyler Johnson, they get switched into the post. I mentioned Kyrie being targeted in the post a little bit by DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. I think the same thing would probably happen to Landry Shamit and Tyler Johnson, just both undersized. And I think the Nets just have so much talent at the guard position, it's just hard to find those guys' minutes. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't get minutes at any chance or any opportunity, but just given who the Nets have, I mean, they have Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Joe Harris, and then we already are trying to fight for Bruce Brown to get more minutes. It's going to be tough. And just based off of the way Steve Nash has managed the rotations it feels like the stars are going to play 35 minutes every night no matter what and you know james harden might be playing 38 40 minutes every night look it's uh, it's a way to get him in his conditioning he's been by far the Nets leader in, in minutes 46 minutes tonight in the ot kai and uh, KD both had 42 but in, in saying that nick do you think that james harden did a better job tonight of of showing aggression showing purpose yep. um and in just in, in general finding his groove offensively we saw it in the the latter points of the game uh in a couple of days ago did he take that momentum into this game against the hawks yeah, this was by far his most aggressive first quarter and first half as a net. You know, just really went out there and attacked. You know, he went to the rim, he hit a step back a couple times, and then you see the 15 assists with the 31 points. I mean, you really can't ask him to play much better than this. He had a couple nice defensive plays in there. I thought he did an okay job on John Collins in the post too. So really happy with James Harden's performance, and I think he's starting to get more comfortable. He looked like he was more in sync with the team tonight in terms of like, hey, I'll get mine here. I'll throw the ball to KD here. I'll throw the ball to Kyrie here. I'll work around the offense or whatever it might be. You know, I thought his last shot of regulation, not ideal, but that's a shot that James Harden can hit. He mentioned in the postgame that he was trying to get the ball to Kevin Durant. It just didn't happen. Yeah, and Kyrie Irving also mentioned in relation to James Harden, he said, whenever James Harden is out there, I'm trying to compliment him. Same with Kevin. Um, good to hear those words and, and those comments from Kai because, you know, everyone's sort of saying that he's not going to be the one that's going to take a back seat. But I think it's that these guys are getting a bit of feel for each other as a trio on and off the court. Off the court, I think even more so. Uh, but on the court, there seems to be growing synergy. It's just that if the, the guys behind them can back them up with some quality minutes here and there. But for the full stat line from James Harden tonight, 31 points, 15 assists, eight boards, including three offensive boards, had a block, had two steals. Nick, is James Harden going to lead the league in assists? Yeah, I mean, there's a really good chance he will, especially when he's passing the ball to Kevin Durant. You know, KD sometimes will get you assists you don't even deserve when he's hitting a three in somebody's face. Or, you know, I thought KD was really good at cutting to the rim tonight, and they found him a couple times, specifically James Harden. 
And I mean, I think it's just going to be easy basketball. Like I think offensively, it's just going to continue to be easier and easier every single night. And they started to kind of almost find a role. Like James Harden is initiating the offense from the start a lot of the time, setting up other guys. And then when the offense kind of goes to shit, the ball's going to Kyrie Irving and he's kind of making some incredible play with like eight to five seconds on the shot clock and kind of bailing the team out. So having this amount of offensive talent and trying to get it to line up and complement each other is important. And I think it's starting to happen. Nick, who do you think was the best out of the scary hours trio? I had a, I think you were going to ask me this tonight, and I, so I started thinking about it before the show. And I honestly couldn't really tell you. I think they all really had their moments and did their thing. You know, James Harden overall was good throughout the whole game. Kyrie Irving was super efficient, 11 through 17, and he had some crazy shots. But KD came up with some big buckets in the fourth quarter in overtime. So it really was a balanced performance. But I think, you know... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. James Harden probably was maybe the most consistent throughout. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a positive sign. You know, we've sort of seen, you know, James Harden be the one that we've questioned the most in terms of what his role is going to be. And for him to really sort of ascend himself and, and make his imprint on this team uh, is a really, really good sign. And look, uh, tell me more about KD and Kyrie's game, Nick, because I saw plenty of highlights. I posted a couple myself. KD, obviously, with the crossover. Kyrie with about a million different layup finishes and, and pull-ups that I, I can't even imagine, you know, the depth of his bag. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Um, how are the, the two of the three, two-thirds of the, the scary hours trio? Yeah, like I mentioned with Kevin Durant, he probably missed five to seven shots in the first half that he normally hits. But in that second half, he was locked in, knocking down everything. And he was cutting to the rim a little bit more and also some of those drives. And I think the Nets are starting to realize, like, damn, we're about to have a ton of space in the paint because of the players we have out here offensively. Guys are not coming off Kyrie Irving. They're not coming off James Harden. They're not coming off Kevin Durant. And they're not coming off Joe Harris. So there's a lot of room in the paint to operate. And sometimes when it's just DJ down there, it's almost easier because, hey, I'm not going to get this layup. The big's going to step to me. I'm just going to drop it off. DeAndre's going to eat and get that easy bucket. And I felt like uh, Kevin Durant was pretty important tonight, especially you know late in, this, late down, late in the game, in the fourth quarter and overtime, some big defensive plays. And also, he didn't necessarily grabbed the rebound but he was able to tip him to his teammates you know especially with John Collins Clint Capella out there I thought Katie did a nice job of that and like you mentioned with uh, Kyrie Irving I mean 
he just had so many shots in this game where it's just like it feels like he's playing a one-on-one sometimes you know what i mean like the like i said with all the spacing it's like okay eight seconds i'm gonna go to this i don't know if you ever see like the drills they do in the off season where they have a timer and it honestly looks like Kyrie is in a drill right now every time he gets a defender he's like i'm gonna cook him i'm gonna take him to the lane i'm gonna hit my teardrop i'm gonna hit my pull-up shot and i think he hit this turnaround uh like fadeaway jumper over deandre hunter like two times in the overtime or the fourth quarter and it was just perfect and it barely touched the net each time and it's just like it's just kind of watching him work his magic offensively is incredible and i thought defensively he had some good effort plays out there he's always going to get attacked a little bit because of his size and also you know sometimes he just gets caught on a screen and just disappears yeah it's the the good and the bad of Kyrie Irving but you know he's providing much more positive value especially offensively and look he he's an artist in a lot of ways he's not just a basketball he's a basketball purist in in so many so many different respects and you know KD do you reckon Nick that Kevin Durant um what do you think his MVP chances are right now because a lot of people have been saying that James Harden's addition isn't gonna is gonna automatically exclude him from being in the MVP race I would say typically when I do my MVP prediction, I look at who else is on the team. And I personally would probably remove Kevin Durant just because he is playing with James Harden and and Kyrie Irving unless the Nets go straight fuego mode. And like we're talking about multiple double digit winning streaks and they just dominate the league and have the best record. You know, then I think Kevin Durant has a chance. But I think given the amount of talent the Nets have, they would probably have to have the best record in the league for KD to win MVP unless he's putting up just godly numbers which is going to be tough playing with these two i mean he's putting up numbers better than his mvp season in a lot of respects in 2013 14 efficiency too exactly could could you see a world where for example we've seen we've talked about kevin Durant's defense on pretty much every episode it feels like every single game he's had one or two blocks if not you know maybe even a couple more tonight Yeah, and I mean, he did it in the last game against Kelly yeah. Olenek as well. Do you think that's where an area where he can sort of be like, look, I'm an incredible two-way player, a la Giannis Antetokounmpo in previous seasons, and be like, look, and, and that's probably what Joel Embiid's case is right now as well. You know, Nikola Jokic is a great offensive player, but doesn't have the two-way ability of Kevin Durant. Do you think that Kevin Durant can sort of, if he maintains this level of defense throughout, you know, 65, 70 games, however many he does play, do you think that's where he can sort of set himself apart? Yeah, I think that could definitely give him an edge. Like you said, Joel Embiid, though, also a great defender, probably be up for Defensive Player of the Year if he maintains his level of play. But I think KD's averaging over two blocks a game. If he's able to maintain that, maybe get some more steals in there too. And the Nets can pick it up as a unit defensively. I think that will help. But it's tough for him to really stick out defensively sometimes because there's so many holes on the Nets defense where they can just attack. You know what I mean? KD could do his job and he can do his job to the highest extent, but somebody else might get cooked and give up an open layup or an offensive rebound or whatever it might be. Nick, in saying that, talk to me about the Nets defense tonight. Um, Was it good, bad, average? Give me a number out of 10. Let's go with five. (laughs) Let's go with average, just right on the dot. I think there was moments where they were above average, probably closer to seven and eight. Maybe even a couple possessions where they're maybe at a nine even. They just did some nice stuff, including your boy Joe Harris, who turned into Bruce Brown in overtime in the fourth quarter because the Nets needed him to be. He was villain Joe for a second out there. But I think just the consistency is the issue. You know what I mean? We've talked about that a lot. We'll see good stretches of defense, and then other times it's like, all right, what are we doing here? There's a stretch in the second quarter where everything was just all over the place, but luckily the Nets were so good offensively, the Hawks weren't able really to pull away. I felt like late in the fourth quarter in overtime, other than some lapses mentally in overtime, I thought the Nets did a pretty good job down the stretch and getting the stops they needed and understanding what they had to do.
what they need yeah, to I mean, do. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, 49 to 41 in for the fourth quarter on OT. So, you know, enough extra stops. It seems to me that they can slightly turn on the defense every now and then. You know, when you do have a Bruce Brown out there, Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, these sort of guys. Uh, Joe Harris, obviously, is going is to show plenty of effort. And James Harden, especially in the post. Kai can obviously be quite engaged there. Um, and if he's not in, you know, pick and roll defense, he's obviously a, a little bit better in that respect too. So, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a give and a take. And, you know, it's going to be... <laughs> a process as i said probably every single podcast but um the atlanta hawks why do the nets have such trouble defending them nick you know they obviously have i, I think I, I saw this with steve nash talking i'm not sure if it was post or pre-game talking about the fact that they've just got really good rollers to the basket they've got really good perimeter shooters and they can space the floor well what is it about the hawks that just gives the the nets um just a heap of issues yeah, I think, you know, some of their guys just come to play against the Nets. I think, you know, seeing Kevin Durant, seeing Kyrie Irving, hey, we're just going to step it up. DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish specifically. But, you know, I think it's also the Hawks just being a really good offensive team. Like, they have a lot of guys that can handle the ball. They're comfortable scoring. You know, Trey Young's one of the best offensive players in the league, including drawing fouls. You know, Clint Capella didn't necessarily have a big game, but he's a big body roll into the rim. And John Collins is a mismatch for a lot of players. And I think... You know what it is? The Nets are just struggle defending bigs in general, so that puts a lot of pressure with John Collins. Clint Capel really didn't do his thing. And then DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, where the Nets could typically hide a Kyrie Irving or something like that, they were able to attack him a little bit because they have so many offensive weapons. And they bring a guy like Gallinari off the bench, who's really a tough matchup, especially when you're playing so undersized. I think it's also just the youth and athleticism and then some of the size they have. You know what I mean? Like, they're playing a lot of dudes that are 6'7 and up. You look at DeAndre Hunter, you look at Cam Reddish, you look at Gallinari, you look at John Collins, Clint Capella. Even Solomon Hill's got a good body on him. So I think it's just like they're a little bit bigger, they're a little bit faster. And like I said, I think they really come to these games ready to go because it's KD, Kyrie, and James Harden. Yeah, I mean, even in saying that, if you're looking at just box score and, and team stats, the Nets had seven steals, ten blocks, compared to three steals and seven blocks. They... Uh... Uh, they 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 uh, just lost the rebounding battle by one, you know, despite the the lack of size as you alluded to. So there's there's some little things there. But Nick, a stat that I wanted to bring to your attention, and I want to hear your thoughts on, the Nets scored 74 points in the paint, but they also allowed 58 points in the paint. What? That's wild. Yeah, I think it's just. For in terms of the Nets defense and giving up 58 points, I think it's just the way the Hawks play so in and out. And obviously the numbers are probably a touch higher because of the overtime. But I thought the Nets did a really good job driving tonight. And like I mentioned, I think they were aware of the space they had. And Atlanta really wanted to shut down a lot of those three-point shots, specifically with Joe Harris. So Kyrie was able to get in the paint. James Harden was getting to the paint. KD was driving a little bit more. He probably had more dunks this game than he's had in any game as a net. Yeah, and and that's saying something for you. So it's uh, the the Nets defense. I think that's where they do get found out a lot. Points in the paint is an area where you a lot of teams really sort of emphasize of being like, you know what, we're going to give up threes, but we're not going to give up points in the paint. And you know, the, the good defensive teams are generally the ones that do that. Whether it's the the Raptors, the the, the Bucks, um, a, a lot of these sort of good uh, the, the Heat, a lot of these good system systematic defenses, you know, really prioritize you know clogging up the paint, making it hard for those sort of teams so it's an interesting one i think that that'll and also like you were mentioned too as well the the lack of size you know going down the stretch where you've got jeff green and kevin Durant playing the the four and five um while those guys are good defenders are good sold defenders um they're not necessarily rudy gobert or or, yeah. or, or those sort of guys or joel Embiid in, in that respect either so it's something to that they'll have to be working on yeah i think you know 
obviously missing that second unit center is just huge right now. At least having the option to have some type of mobile big, and the Nets really just don't have that. Like we mentioned, hopefully Nick Claxton could be that guy. You want to talk Joe Harris a little bit? This, I mean, look, give me the positive first, Nick. You're Plus 18 about for Joe Harris tonight, Jack. That's pretty substantial in comparison to everybody else. That's uh, how does that occur, Nick? In in a game where the the next best leader is Jeff Green with plus nine, and all the starters other than James Harden were were negative, how does how does Joe Harris get plus eighteen? Yeah, I think it's just a combination of being on the floor at the right time. I think the offense is running really smooth with him out there because, like I said, Atlanta was really preventing him from getting those open threes. You know, even the threes that he attempted in this game. Two were heavily contested by Trey Young, and then one was, I think, at the end of the second quarter buzzer, third quarter buzzer, so it was like a rush shot. His three makes, I can tell you them all because I knew you'd ask me about this. One came up on a pull-up mid-range shot on uh, Trey Young around the free throw line, and the two other ones were backdoor cuts where he just caught you know, Kevin Herter sleeping. So, And like I mentioned, defensively, I thought he was really good down the stretch in an overtime just kind of was being annoying. Like he was literally riding Trey Young full court. And, you know, Joe is willing to adapt to whatever role the team needs of him. And I think that's something we could probably see a little bit more from Joe moving forward, just given the amount of offensive attention the other guys are going to get and his role on that end. He's going to have maybe a little bit more energy defensively. Yeah, normally you see, you know, these sort of prototype shooters, Duncan Robinson, J.J. Redick, Kyle Horver, if they're not shooting well, how are they impacting the game? Well, Joe Harris had two steals tonight. He's hitting the mid-range jumpers. He's cutting. He had, you know, two dimes as well. Um, The box score doesn't leap out to you in any uh, sense of the imagination, but a guy that is just not just a shooter. He's a basketballer. And yeah. I think that that's what the Nets have, you know, a decent amount of guys who do a lot of different things. You know, Bruce Brown not, might not be able to shoot the three ball, but he knows how to attack. He knows how to handle it a little bit. He knows how to play some defense. Jeff Green is an incredibly versatile role player. So I think that's what you want out of your role players. You don't want sort of one-way guys that I think a lot of other contending teams do have, whether it's like a, a Jeff Teague or a Bryn Forbes or, or, or these sort of guys. The Nets have guys who could just do a lot and show and make up for when they're not doing their, their strengths well. They can still make up for it in other respects of their game because they're not limited by just being a shooter or a defender, quote-unquote. Yeah, 100%. I think that's where Joe really provides an impact for this team, and that's why they mentioned on the broadcast, you know, some people might think it's an overpay, but given how he actually impacts the game in multiple ways, and I think he's really improving as a defender and understanding that that's going to be a bigger part of his game this year, given the offensive talent on the roster. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Nick, talk to me about our two frontline guys, DJ and Jeff. Um, DJ... You know, 11 points, seven boards, including three offensive. Did have an assist, three blocks for him as well. Five of five from the field. Now, what are your thoughts on DJ? Was this a, a typical sort of average DJ performance? Above average, below average, or, or, or how would you surmise it? Yeah, I'd probably say a little bit below average. I think the Hawks are a really tough matchup for him. Like, he didn't come out of the paint on a couple of John Collins threes, where it's just like, John Collins can shoot threes now. He doesn't, you know, he shoots a good percentage from there. You need to defend him. And I think he's just a little slow against Trey Young. And that puts a lot of pressure on Kyrie, Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, just because DeAndre is so inconsistent on that end. He did squeeze out a couple blocks, had a couple nice plays, and obviously had, uh, you know, his regular dunks and alley-oops. He had a nice reverse one in this game. But, you know, DJ... Well, he's probably slightly below average in terms of DeAndre Jordan standards. I just think, like I said, the Hawks matchup is tough given the amount of speed and athleticism they have on the floor. Yeah, a lot of youth as well, which certainly doesn't um, bode well in, in DJ's favor. Jeff Green, though, Nick, 
obviously we talked about the dunk, which is uh, maybe one of the dunks of the season for the Brooklyn Nets. But in terms of that as well, he hit a three ball, was 11 points, seven boards, uh, two assists, did have a steal as well. Uh, ever reliable Uncle Jeff. Yeah, I mean, he didn't necessarily have an amazing first half. Second half, he really picked it up. Like you said, he had those two big dunks in this game. I think that provided some nice momentum. He's a really nice role option for James Harden. They have some chemistry, obviously, played in Houston last year. And, you know, the rebounding and the defense is huge. I think his switchability is just such a great tool for the Nets because that's their best opportunity to play well is to switch. You know what I mean? Because they don't have that elite rim protector anymore in Jared Allen. So Jeff Green and his versatility is just so apparent. And like we've talked about a million times, he's just been such a steal for this team. And they'd be in a lot of trouble if they didn't have him on the roster. Bro, I can't imagine not having Jeff Green on this roster. It's uh, That would be scary. I was talking about scary. <laughs> Jeez. Um, Nick, there's a, a quote here via ESPN from Steve Nash talking about how they're looking forward to having some practice time because I, I, I'm not sure if the Nets are still one of the league leaders in games played, but um, they're certainly up there, if not one of the top five teams. Played 20 games this season. The Hawks themselves have only played 18. He talked about how the game in Atlanta opened a stretch of 10 of 13 games on the road. Uh, he said it's a great opportunity for us to keep rolling we played so many games in a short period of time we have a stretch now where we have a little bit of breathing room between games what do you think needs to be looked at practiced looked at in the film room uh, in terms of for the nets to really solidify those championship habits defense <laughs> it's pretty simple surprise, i mean surprise surprise offensively like yeah there's room for improvement but you don't really have to worry that much because you just have godly talent on that end and kevin durant james harden and kyrie irving think they would they combine jack for 89 points tonight or something like that some ridiculous number so yeah the offense will come and go like it's not a big deal defense you really need to get those habits you need to set standards and what to do in different situations and where guys can expect other guys to be so they can get help not get help and these habits are important, like we mentioned, for the playoffs, for the finals. When you get to that point, this is what you need to have. You need to have that strong def uh, defensive communication and habits. And you just need to really understand the scheme and understand where guys are going to be. And then also the coaches making adjustments, you know, realizing that, hey, DeAndre can't move. We have to figure out a way to still make him useful. Maybe that's a little bit more drop coverage when he's on the floor and then allowing the other guys to switch a little bit. I'm not really sure, but I think they'll have an opportunity to look at a lot of film and see what works and what they need to do better. And also an opportunity to kind of call some guys out and be like, hey, you played great defense in the fourth quarter. Where was this in the first, second, and third? You know what I mean? And obviously the energy levels aren't going to maintain consistent, but you have to set a standard and a bar. Like we need to be at this level if we want to be an X-level team. And if we're below that, we're not going to win games. And that's just not acceptable. So I think just really setting the standard defensively will be big. But what about you, Jack? Yeah, obviously defense. I think as well, you know, getting confidence in the role guys and just getting confidence in, and I think camaraderie as well. You know, I, yep. I think road trips are, you know, I'm reading the, you know, the Phil Jackson 11 Rings book right now. And he's talked about how the championship habits are, a lot of the time are being built on the road for those guys. Um, and a lot of other teams have mentioned how, you know, the bonding a lot of the time happens on the road. You, you really find out about each other on the team, on the planes and stuff. And hopefully everyone stays healthy, um, knocking on wood. But in, yeah, in saying that, I think this is a good opportunity for the team. And I think that they're, they're looking at it as an opportunity as well. And in relation to the defense, Nick, do you think that that is one thing and one area where, where film sessions really do uh, could have a benefit for, on this team? Yeah, I think so, especially watching it as a unit and understanding like 
what that guy was thinking in that situation, what he was reading and what he was reacting to, especially if it's one of the younger guys and maybe they just don't know. And this is a benefit of having Kevin Durant in the room to kind of explain it or Steve Nash and just, hey, this is what you need to do here against X and Y or against this specific player and his skill set. This is what we're trying to do. Or, you know, what are what's the ideology of this scheme? Like, where are we trying the four shots? What are we trying to do? And I think a better understanding of that will be important. And then obviously, I think, you know, just like to touch on, I guess it's still, excuse me, technically part of defense, the rebounding, you know, getting maybe some more bodies on people, boxing guys out, even if you're undersized, just making sure you're doing what you can there. Because too many times it's like two guys looking at the boards and there's like three players from the opposing team. I think obviously we want to get in transition, but sometimes you can't do that. No, that's it. And, and you know, I've always been a big proponent for, you know, a lot of the time you, you need to look at film to sort of see your own weaknesses and, and yep. see them exposed and hold each other accountable. Um, and, and I think that's an, an area where the, the Nets can hopefully improve and sort of see what tendencies they need to improve, whether it's communication, whether it's just knowledge, whether it's just instincts, um, all those sort of different things. So we will certainly wait and see in that regard. Nick, I want to ask you about Steve Nash. What are you thinking about, I guess, his improvement and comfortability uh, as in the Nets head coach? He's sort of saying uh, to, to, to media beforehand how he's like, you know, it's always something new. It's always a, a growing process. What are your thoughts on Steve Nash, you know, this game uh, and, and overall? Yeah, I mean, when we took the job, we always thought it was going to be kind of learning on the run. The job got a little bit harder with James Harden and easier at the same time. Like now you just get thrown this big piece that you have to kind of incorporate with limited practice time. So I think, you know, he's he's uh, improving. He's moving forward to the coach that we hope he can be. I think you saw some of the creativity tonight with the Bruce Brown as a roller. We're seeing some changes in the rotation. You know, we saw Kyrie Irving play with the second unit in the first half of this game, kind of allowed him to do his thing and unleash himself. So, you know, I think he's just getting more comfortable each game and getting a better understanding of what he needs to do as a coach. I think one thing a lot of fans would hope for is maybe seeing him argue with the refs a little bit more. There was specifically one play in this game where – Kyrie got called for a foul, loose ball foul, where he maybe touched DeAndre Hunter on the hip, or no, maybe it was Cam Reddish. And the ball that was thrown, Jack, was literally thrown to the coaches. <laughs> like, that's how off the pass was. It was, like, into the second row of the coaches. It wasn't even the first row, and they still called a foul. I think that's a situation where Kyrie got a tech. You'd rather see Steve Nash get the tech in that situation instead of Kyrie Irving. Letting You know, he did argue with the ref, but I think he needs to kind of raise his voice a little bit more sometimes. And obviously, every person's a little bit different. I'm not trying to tell him how to coach, but I think occasionally letting the refs know that they're screwing up is important as an NBA coach. Because we've seen it with Greg Popovich where it literally can change the game. It certainly can, certainly can. You know, he's uh, obviously um, been kicked out. A couple of other guys have been kicked out this <laughs> season as well. And uh, it, it lets the assistant coaches uh, do a little bit of work here and there. So we'll Jack wait and Martin see. Sort of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the top assistant in the NBA. But in, in saying that as well, he also did mention, I believe, to the media beforehand how he's like, you know, these masks do help a little bit. So maybe he is yelling and we just can't hear him, Nick. Uh, who, who knows? But... I wanted to, uh, any other sort of game stuff, Nick, you, you alluded to Kyrie playing a little bit more with the second unit before we get to some roster composition stuff. Any other game stuff that you wanted to touch on? Uh, nothing too much. I think we touched on most of it. I mean, you know, I said Kyrie was a little bit with the second unit. We saw James Harden with the second unit. I think Steve Nash is still trying to find that balance of, you know, who works well with who and how can I squeeze out some minutes from the second unit. I think... One thing that he possibly could do, but it's kind of hard to argue with this idea, would be maybe summing in some of the bench guys earlier and getting them with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. So 
it's not as apparent when they're playing bad or you can hide them a little bit more. But at the same time, it's kind of a safety valve. We saw Atlanta kind of be like, hey, we're going to give TLC open shots. We're going to give Jeff Green open shots. Long as it's not Kyrie James Harden, Kevin Durant or Joe Harris. Hey, that's okay. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't be surprised to see teams play the Nets like that in the future, especially if TLC is only going one of five and Jeff Green's only going one of five. Absolutely. Uh, I think that that's uh, something to, to keep an eye on going forward. So Nick, in terms of the roster stuff, we've obviously seen some articles and stuff, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But Billy Reinhardt put this out there, and I think it's something worth discussing. Um, the Nets obviously have 12 players on the roster right now. Um, Norvell Pell, if you want to include him, um, and the reports from Woj, that's 13. But it's been two weeks, almost two weeks since the James Harden signing. And the Nets still only have 12 people on their roster. And they need to operate with at least 14. Do you think by tomorrow we could see a move made, whether it's converting a Reggie Perry to you know, a, an actual NBA contract, whether it's about one of the guys we're, we're about to talk about via Zach Harper of The Athletic? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think a Norvin Pell thing is kind of interesting that we haven't seen him yet. We haven't even really got any updates. I know there was something mentioned with like, Safety and health protocol, I don't know how long a player has to wait before they can actually join the team. But obviously that would be one name. Uh, and I think we could see someone tomorrow. You know, Sean Mark said he wanted to wait and see what happens with this team and give him an opportunity. I think, what have they played since James Harden's been there? Seven games? So something I think, like that. yeah, that's a good sample size. And so I, I kind of expect someone to be signed tomorrow. And I'm not trying to be mean. I just don't hope, I hope it's not Reggie Perry or Chris Gios. I hope it's another NBA veteran, even if it's, you know, someone who's not amazing. I just don't think those guys are ready to contribute on a championship team. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. You know, we need championship players. That's the goal um, at the end of the day. But Nick, um, you alluded me to this article. You brought me to it. And this is also via Zach Harper of, Zach Harper of The Athletic. Uh, he mentions, uh, obviously, the Andre Drummond, and I, a couple of league sources mentioned after the Harden trade to Brooklyn that it's only a matter of time before he finds his way to Brooklyn in a buyout and joins up to give them help with the interior. Obviously, you know, Andre Drummond also likes rapping with Kevin Durant. He thinks he's a good pickup player. Uh, check out my time. Best pickup player, Jack. Best pickup player, sorry. Um, I don't know if he said best rapper, but he certainly said that he uh, likes his uh, skills on the mic. But in saying that, Nick, obviously. Do you think that this is almost set in stone? The the rumors certainly seem to be heating up. Yeah, I think it would have to be Andre Drummond kind of forcing his way out and telling Cleveland, hey, I want to join Brooklyn. I don't want to be here anymore. But it, it's going to be tough because Cleveland's been pretty good. You know, they're in the playoff position right now. So if they maintain that level of play, it's tough to say. I mean, I've saw I've heard the argument of, hey, they'll buy him out because they want to get more money to uh, Jared Allen and see – what type of contract he deserves this offseason. Obviously, playing behind Andre Drummond, you're not going to be able to do that. So it'll be interesting. And obviously, the Nets still have their taxpayer MLE, so they can offer him $5.7 million. And that $5.7 million could be money he'd be willing to give back in a buyout. So he's uh, due $28 million, so he could, you know, what is it, 22-something? 23. Yeah. yeah. So that that's where you can kind of get a little interesting, maybe save the Cavs even a little bit more money and drop a couple down because it's a championship opportunity. I mean, I don't want to say it's set in stone because there's still a lot of things that happen. Like the Cavs still have to buy him out. Andre Drummond could demand a buyout. They doesn't. They don't have to give it to him. They can make him sit on the bench or not report to the team if they don't want to. They don't need to do it. It would be more so a favor of them to buy him out and give themselves an opportunity to look at Jared Allen more. I mean, I think if he is bought out, I almost feel like it's a lock he's signing with the Nets, just given the relationship with Kevin Durant. We saw him uh, post on Kyrie's Instagram. And I think Andre Drummond also wants to prove that he's not a losing player. 
Yeah, and I think that uh, in the opportunity in Brooklyn for him would be to utilize his incredible rebounding skills. I think he's improving uh, as a defender. Uh, he's still got you know great athleticism, and I think he would really fit well into the offense in terms of being able to run the floor and play some you know, pretty damn insane pick and roll uh, with James Harden. I think that would be pretty damn incredible. So, look, Andre Drummond would be you know almost uh, I put it out you know the the, the names been putting out put out there Ed Davis, Nolan Noel, Cody Zeller. Um, all, all these sort of guys. And also, those were potential buyout candidates. And these are the names that Zach Harper did allude to. Uh, Zella, uh, Robin Lopez, Bisbat Biombo, JaVel McGee, Mike Muscala, Ed Davis, Otto Porter, who he said is unlikely. Um, though I think that Sean Marks would love that if that were to happen. He'd be uh, perfect Re- for the bench. I mean... That- oh. Dude, it, it, I mean, it's not happening, uh, but I would take uh, one of three guys that are on the Chicago Bulls right now, Thad Young, Garrett Temple, who was also rumored, um, a, as well as, you know, Otto Porter as well. And then also Trevor Reza uh, and Wayne Ellington, D. Rose, were also in that list. Obviously, we talked about JaVale McGee quite a bit, Nick, um, not on previous podcasts, but are there other, any other names there? I think all of those guys, a lot of them, basically everyone, but D. Rose and maybe Mike Muscala could add something to the Nets. Yeah, I like Nerlens Noel. We brought him up before. I think he's a guy that could allow the Nets to maintain being a switchy team. You know what I mean? Because he does have some athleticism. I think I get a little bit more nervous with guys like Robin Lopez and Ed Davis just because they're more so on the slower side. You can't really switch with those guys out there. They're more of your traditional center. Bismack Biombo, I think he's like, he has some defensive pop to his game, but offensively his hands are terrible. And it'd be like, he would just be feel like dropping so many passes from James Harden. Mike Muscala has kind of been a guy that's all over the place. Like he has okay moments, but defensively not really giving you a ton. And I don't really care about the guards. Like the only guard that I'd really be super interested in if they're bought out is probably JJ Redick. You know, like I'd prefer Garrett Temple to be honest. I, I yeah, don't know or, or Garrett Temple. Yeah, I, I don't really think Chicago's going to buy him out. It'd be kind of pointless. No. Like why sign him to a contract and then buy him out? You know what I mean? doesn't really make sense. I mean, Trevor Reza would be great because he's more so a forward, but you know, Wayne Ellington, not super exciting, and Derrick Rose, not necessarily super exciting either. Yeah, I think the Trevor Reza situation, I've talked to people on Twitter, they're going my mentions. I think a lot of stuff, as you you sort of brought up, that could be happening with Dwayne Dedman uh, in terms of, you know, some behind-the-scenes stuff with his family and, you know, the reason yep. why he didn't go to the bubble in the first place. Maybe that stuff is pertaining right now. So, look, there's still a couple of months until buyouts are, are confirmed and that, that window is closed. So, I'm sure that the Nets will be at the top of the list for many teams alongside the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Lakers. Um, and, look, I'm, uh, I'm jumping on the Thad Young bandwagon, Nick. I needed to happen. Bring that dude back to Brooklyn, put him back in the black and white. He would be maybe the perfect fit for the Brooklyn Nets because I think you can rely on him. I think he can give you a little bit of offense. And in terms of what I alluded to earlier, in terms of just being able to play basketball and just do a a couple of different things. He's got a nice little hook shot, nice little floater sort of game. He can hit the three every now and then. And I think he's a a really good defender and allows you to uh, even probably an, an upgraded version over Jeff Green in many respects in terms of that switching defense. Yeah, and I mean, he gives you, he's also had some real success defending Giannis. Not yeah. many players have, and he's he had a lot of success with the Pacers. Uh, Thad Young would be interesting. I'm not sure if they'd buy him out. He does have a non guaranteed for 21 22. I feel like they probably would try to get a trade, you know, in that situation. I haven't been a big fan of trading an injured Spencer Dinwiddie. That would be a contract he could look at. Maybe you convince Kevin Durant to trade DeAndre Jordan. I'm not really sure if that could happen, but, you know, Thad Young would be a great fit. I wouldn't also rule out a PJ Tucker buyout. 
I don't think that's completely unlikely, especially if they're not able to trade him. I could see him being pissed. And I really don't think Houston's going to end up being in the playoff picture. Yeah, I think even just one guy that we can be confident with to add to that rotation, because then yep. I alluded to earlier that there were seven or so guys. You know, if Bruce Brown, I think, is a pinch hit. Jeff Green, I'm really confident in. But if you add PJ Tucker, you add Thaddeus Young, it's just like, okay, there's our seven guys. And we know Mike D'Antoni barely goes beyond seven in his rotation. I'm sure Steve Nash would probably be quite similar. And then, you know, you add some fringe guys here and there where TLC and a... Um, and a Garrett Temple or, and uh, whoever else it is can make up for one and a half players, so to speak. So, look, it's all about adding those guys that can give you championship reps, Nick. And, you know, who knows? By tomorrow, we could see another guy on the roster. We could see some Norvell Pell action um, by the time we versus Thunder in a couple of days. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it all develops. Yeah, exactly, Jack. I think, you know, they want a forward and I think they want a big. You know, they need some more size, some more options. Just because it gets to a point where, like, if DeAndre Jordan gets in foul trouble, they have to play Reggie Perry or Jeff Green. And what happens if it's a matchup against Joel Embiid or Rudy Gobert or, or Nikola Jokic, one of these really big, great centers? It's going to be tough. But anything else you want to touch on, Jack, before we get out of here? No, I'm just excited. Uh, I'm not excited that the streak is over. I only feel pain. The new streak games. is starting, Jack. It's cool. We're good. Uh, we're going to surpass the old one. Yeah, by the time the playoffs are on, um, hopefully it's about 74 games that the streak is continuing for, for Joey Buckets. Yeah, 100%. As always, big pleasure, Jack. Big thanks to everybody for listening. You catch us on all streaming platforms. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.